You're listening to the LaxRecords.com podcast, episode 21. Today we're continuing last week's theme and doing a high school lacrosse roundup, so let's get started. Hey everybody, Mike here. Welcome to the LaxRecords.com podcast. So last week we kind of started a little bit of a new thing with just doing a high school lacrosse roundup, just talking about the week that was and things and just things that I found interesting, so uh, that seemed to be received pretty well, so we're going to go again. So I want to do a little bit of follow-up from last week first, because last week one of the big themes was basically the, the Torrey Pines, St. Ignatius Prep, how they fared and how the rankings might um, be impacted based on, on those results. So, you know, I'm just kind of curious to see how they went and figured I'd follow up. So it was interesting to note that Last week, I thought both teams would make it into the top 25. You know, Gonzaga was a top top 10 at at worst um, to start the season. And after Torrey Pines had beat St. Ignatius Prep, and then St. Ignatius Prep had beat Gonzaga, I kind of thought that there was a pretty good shot that all three teams would make it into the overall top 25s. Now, that kind of happened in, in a couple of them. Um, when I took the, the overall look and do the consensus rankings, Torrey Pines came in as the 26th team while St. Ignatius Prep was 32. So that's kind of taken all five polls into account and seeing where they kind of shuffle out based on the overall scope of things. Uh, what I found interesting that is in uh, the consensus, Gonzaga did make it in to the top 25. So I'll have a link to those consensus rankings in the show notes and on the website so you can find those pretty easily. Um, and, you know, another interesting note is Gonzaga and Torrey Pines both made it in the top 25s of three of the five national polls, but in two of those, Torrey Pines was actually behind Gonzaga uh, in in those, and St. Ignatius Prep didn't make it ahead of Gonzaga in any of the polls. So those are just kind of some interesting notes. Like, I know it's hard doing these national rankings, and you got so many good teams in, uh, in, in to try and get them in. So I know it's difficult for everybody. You know, I used to do <laughs> used to do this for a living, so I know how much of a challenge it is to try and get all the teams you want to get in. So someone always falls out, and you know, I always try to tell people, you know, it's 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 a marathon, not a sprint. So you know, while they might not have made it in this week, you know, you give it over the course of a season, and usually, generally, things shuffle out as long as everybody keeps winning. It will be interesting to see how Gonzaga's lost to Bullis over the weekend will affect that. Because when you looked at national rankings, Bullis made a pretty big move um, this week. They went from 17 to 13 overall, and so like, and then they 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 beat Gonzaga pretty handily. So it'll be kind of interesting to note how that'll impact. You know, I expect Bullis to move up. Obviously, I think Gonzaga will probably fall out of the rankings, but considering Gonzaga may have been one of the key wins to kind of get Torrey Pines and St. Ignatius Prep in into the national scope, it'll be interesting to see how you know, if those teams just continue to move ahead or if they kind of fall with Gonzaga. Like, it's always one of those, you just kind of got to take a look at scope and, and see how it works out. So that'll be interesting to note for, for this week. So just kind of continuing in with the, <clears throat> excuse me, the national rankings theme is that, you know, the top five main remain pretty consistent uh, with McDonough holding on to the top spot by one point. You know, Culver Academy out of Indiana and Darien out of Connecticut both are really, really close to the uh, the number one spot. So McDonough had a pretty good uh, win over Chaminade this past week. So that, that should, again, and I think Chaminade was basically top 10 
in a lot of the polls. So that should very well seal. It might actually make a, uh, a little bit of a difference because when you looked at it, um, McDonough Culver Academy and Hill Academy out of Canada all received first place votes from, or all received number one rankings um, out of the out of the two polls. McDonough and Hill were number one in two of those, with Culver pouring in one one first place choice um, with the other. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that McDonough win over Chaminade, plus just what they've done so far this season, will will impact that overall. You know, I kind of already talked about why I thought you know Tory Pines and whatnot uh, did not get ahead of Gonzaga this week. But one of the teams that I, I find most interesting is Smithtown East. They are ranked all over the place. Um, in, in they're top 10 in two polls, and they're not ranked at all in two others. And that's interesting because it just kind of sees one of those things. It's like no, no one really knows what to make of, of Smithtown East. So I'm sure, you know, that depending on – how they, they either feel validated or they feel <laughs> uh, slighted. And it's really interesting to see a team, you know, just the the large discrepancy. You know, it'd be one thing if they were ranked 25 and a couple other ones and not ranked at all. You can kind of see that. But to be top 10 and two and not ranked at all and, and two others is, I find it interesting. And I'll be interested to see how once they get their season started, I think they start this this week. Uh, so I'm recording this on Sunday, so I haven't actually seen any of the results. Um, you guys will obviously see the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm, I'm recording in the past, <laughs> I guess, if you want to look at it that way. So it'll be interesting to see another one. So for me, there's a lot of teams to uh, just to keep an eye on. And now that I actually don't do national rankings and I kind of take a step back and look at what everybody else is doing and just kind of look at it, I find it a little bit more relaxing for one thing. My, my Sundays and Mondays aren't quite as stressful. Uh, especially when teams beat each other. So uh, we do another follow-up, I'm sure, on that in uh, in the next episode as well. So is uh, anybody who was kind of paying attention to the site early, early on in the season, probably in early February, I did a little bit of a 2017 games to watch. And again, I'll have the links in the show notes for, for that if you want to check out the games that I picked. Um, one of the games that I I'd selected was Episcopal Dallas out of Texas and St. Mark's out of Dallas. Um, as one of the games to watch is because, you know, uh, ESD, they, they were kind of one of the early favorites to, to win the, the state championship this year. And St. Mark's was getting their, their longtime head coach, Hayward Lee. He was coming back to the sideline after being gone for, I think, four seasons. So it was, you know, one of those things I was like, oh, it's just kind of an interesting storyline for me. And uh, I, I can't say that it, um, it did not disappoint uh, ESD came out over uh, 13 to nine over St. Mark's, which is obviously a, a pretty close score to begin with. But and I am going to butcher, even though I asked Coach Kennedy how to pronounce um, his name, I, I know I'm going to ruin it. So I apologize in advance to uh, Nakay Montgomery. Uh, he had seven assists and two goals um, for ESD. So obviously he counted for nine points out of the 13 13 goals that were scored for ESD. So and that helped uh, the Eagles improve to seven and zero on the season. And an interesting note: I think Pat Kennedy is now one win away from, I believe, his 100th for his career. I might have that wrong because I don't have the notes in front of me. I was just kind of thinking about that as I was talking. So, but I know he's close to a landmark, and I'm pretty sure it's 100. And I knew he needs uh, he needed eight to start the year. So I'll have a link to the the uh, coaches who could achieve milestones list in the show notes as well, because that's something I've been keeping an eye on and uh, updating throughout the year as coaches hit different landmarks. So a couple other mentions that I want to do this week um, is, and again, 
I'm going to apologize. I'm going to kind of just leave it as a standard. Uh, I apologize if I mispronounce any uh, athletes or coaches' names um, in these. So, you know, I don't always hear them. So it's always a little bit of a challenge. And I'm not the greatest linguist uh, of all time. So Gunnar uh, Kerrig of Maurice J. McDonough, not the McDonough, and the MIAA. MJ McDonough is out of Pomfret, Maryland. Uh, they play in uh, kind of southern Maryland. Um, it's kind of not really sure how to describe it. I used to cover high school football in Maryland for years, and they have a really good football team as well. They had some really great receivers um, in a few of the years that, that I was uh, covering them. But anyway, back to the uh, off the tangent. Uh, Gunner, he uh, he had one of the more impressive stat lines that I think I've seen. Like I was Senate, and I, I think it was uh, – I didn't couldn't tell who actually sent it, so I almost didn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is, this is probably fake or someone – had a typo or something like that, but I confirmed it with their head coach. Um, Kerrig's committed to Farum, and he had a total of uh, 13 points. He scored nine goals, had four assists. He won 20 faceoffs, and he scooped up 19 ground balls in a 20 to 12 win over Lackey. So for me, when I saw that, I was like, "Wow, that is that kid is putting in work. He is all over the field with the faceoffs and the ground balls and the goals." And it was one of those like I as actually the submission I received which I'll have a link in the show about how to actually submit stats um, to, to the website. Um, when it was received, it said he had 19 face-offs won. And so when I emailed the coach and asked him if everything was correct and to confirm, he was like, yeah, but it was actually 20 face-offs. So he actually added added one more to the stat line. So I just thought that was pretty impressive and worth mentioning. Um, uh, another player that's been kind of coming pretty regular onto the uh, Stylac stat, stat leaders for the season is Connor Florich. He's out of Newsom. Um, he added another seven goals to his season total in a game against Durant last week. He In 10 games, he now has 47 goals and 17 assists, and he's helped Newsom to an 11-0 record this season. So it's definitely interesting to see how the Wolves are progressing this year, and obviously Connor is a, is a big propeller of, of all that. And kind of staying down in Florida this week, um, uh, and again, I'm going to mispronounce this school. <laughs> uh, em- Emokali? I'm gonna, we're going to go with that. Why not? But their goalie, uh, Raymond Perez, broke the known Florida record for most saves in a career on Friday night. Uh, he had 640 for his career. He made nine saves against Jupiter, Jupiter Christian to give him that 640. And he broke the previous record, which was 626, held by Craig Day from uh, Dr. Phillips. On the year, Perez has 83 saves this season. So, you know, big shout-out to, to Raymond. You know, and I know uh, the coaches down at um, the, the Indians. We're just going to go with that because I'm not going to butcher the school name again. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, Coach, I apologize. Uh, but, uh, you know, I know he's been working real hard, and they just came off their spring break trip, which I, I saw the photos on on Instagram and Twitter and it looked like the kids had a really good time and they're just a really good program um, down there I believe in the southern Florida area so wanted to make sure I gave Raymond a uh, pretty big shout out this week. So kind of on to the the main part um, uh, of this week's show I'm actually going to have two different interviews. Uh, one interview I'm going to talk with Clay Welch from Ponte Vedra. Uh, he was this week's LaxRecords.com player of the week and I did a little bit of an interview with him kind of talking about because Coach West, the head coach at Pontevedra, put together a pretty brutal schedule for, for Sharks this week, kind of preparing them for the playoffs. Like I think they have like four or five games remaining in the regular season. And they played Mountain Vista, which was a Colorado Final Four team 
last year. They played Wando, which was a defending South Carolina state champion. They played Charlotte Catholic. They played St. Augustine out of Florida. They played, I believe, four games in five days. And that just kind of, you know, when I was talking with Clay, which you'll hear in a few minutes, just kind of is a feeling to kind of get them ready for that grind of the playoffs. So, you know, obviously the Sharks were Lee Roggenberg's pick for to win it all this season in one of the earlier podcasts where we talked about Florida high school lacrosse. So, you know, they, they seem to be, win, you know, winning on all cylinders at this point after a little bit of a stumble against Jupiter. So, but, you know, by no means is it in the bag. So I'm sure they got to keep fighting for the rest of the year. So we're going to go to that interview here right now. Talk a little bit about um, that game, because in that game you had uh, four goals and two assists uh, against a really good team, as we mentioned. So kind of talk a little bit about that game. Well, it all like started at the face-off X with Andrew Adair. He just he wasn't losing. That really helps getting those extra possessions. And we just ran our offense and like we found gaps. They were so concentrated on like trying to stop me at times to where like it got my teammates open and they were able to capitalize on that. And we just we just ran our offense really well. And was that game um was that on the road? Like were you guys, or was it a neutral? It was like a, it was a neutral site in Orlando. I think it was easier for them to fly in Orlando or something like that. Yeah. Um, so what what was it? You said it started it started at the X, but what was it that you saw like um, that you were able to kind of to to score those goals, especially in like I think um, Coach West told me you guys were down seven and four, seven to four at one point. So what were you kind of seeing in the defense that kind of allowed you to to find the find the net? They were slow to slide for some reason sometimes. They just, like, fell asleep because we run a pair offense. And so we go from one side on our pairs, and the other sides are just, like, exchanging, keeping their guys engaged on the other side. So the, basically they fell asleep sometimes because we just lull them to sleep by trying to go on one side for a while. And they just wouldn't slide, and that, like, let me get my hands free and find the net. Was that part of the initial game plan, or was that something you guys saw and made the adjustment? Um, that was that was a part of the initial game plan. We were that's our that's our main offense. We did run uh, a one three two. We threw that out them a little bit, just switch it up. But towards the end of the game, we were just back in our back in our P offense. So yeah, nothing else we can do. Yeah, and obviously, I know you guys play a lot of big teams in Florida, but did it? Did it feel any different to beat uh, one of the, the better teams out of Colorado? Oh, yeah. It felt great. I mean, Andrew Andrew Bray, he's going to Mercer. Um, he played, like, a great game guarding uh, Monroe. We were slow to slide to him, too, because we had we had trust in him the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Monroe, I still think, went, like, for four goals, but he's a great – that kid's a great player, and you can't really stop that sometimes. Yeah. You only can, like, control it. So what made the the mountain the win over Mountain Vista maybe a little bit different um, than maybe some of the other wins that you guys see over teams you see normally? I mean, you don't really get to see them that often. So I mean, just knowing that you beat them and they're supposed to be like one of the well-regarded teams out of the out of the West or Midwest. Um, and then you guys came right back the next day and and, and beat St. Augustine. Um, so talk a little bit uh, about that game as well. I think I had you with uh, another two goals uh, out of that game. Yeah, we we came out playing St. Augustine. Um, it was it was a scrappy game. They were very athletic. Uh, we we kind of came into that game really slow, which is like scary. That's how we usually do after big wins. 
like we played IMG Florida at the beginning of the year or towards the middle, yeah, beginning of the year, and we beat them. And then we came out against Jupiter really flat, and that killed us. And that's like what gave us our first loss. So I was scared coming out of that Mountain Vista game on how we would like bounce back after the huge win. Um, and you mentioned guys got Charlotte Catholic now. You know, I, I haven't talked to Coach West about this, but I'd have to think like this part of the schedule must be some sort of test for you guys to get you ready for the playoffs. Is that kind of how it feels with Mountain Vista, Wando, Charlotte Catholic? You know, four, what, five games in the span of seven days, plus, you know, some of these better teams outside of your area. Yeah, it is a test. He scheduled them back to back so that way we kind of get the feel of like the long bus ride, the playing at night, and then going to the hotel, waking up the next day, waiting a little bit, then playing kind of midday, because that's how I think it was last year for a state championship. I don't know if it is like going to be like that this year, but I'm pretty sure he scheduled it so that way we get the whole feel playing two great teams. All right. Well, thanks to Clay for taking a few minutes out of his busy Saturday to, to talk. We actually talked before they had played Charlotte Catholic on Saturday, and then Clay went on to score seven goals in that game. So congratulations again to him. Obviously, he had earned player of the week before that, but then he just kind of sealed the deal with the performance against Charlotte Catholic. So now on to the next segment. I'm talking with Matt Kennedy from Boys Latin. He actually... Um, works i believe in the alumni department so mac if i if i got that wrong i apologize i should ask you but i just got off the phone with him and we're going to talk a little bit about miaa it was kind of spurred upon me talking about uh, the inner ac miaa matchups in my lacrosse notebook from tuesday which again i'll have a link in the show notes about that so but i wanted to talk about um the MIA with Matt because he literally wrote the book. He has a book on boys Latin lacrosse history. He has helped me immensely kind of put together the history of the MIAA. That's why I have all the champions on the, on the website on laxrecords.com about like, you know, the all time champions like St. Paul's has 25 boys Latin, I believe has 10 or 11. So Max is the guy that has helped me put all that stuff together. So on to the interview with Mac where we kind of talk about MIA and why they've become so powerful and how they've remained that over the course of the league's history. Why, why am I talking to you about MIAA lacrosse? Well, I've been following it my whole life. Uh, of course, before the MIA came around, we had the MSA. And so um, I've been sort of an MSA, now MIA fan, you know, basically most of my teenage and adult life. So been following the high school game here. Um, and one of those kind of MIA junkies, I guess, nothing yeah. better to do than to follow high school lacrosse. Oh, well, you know, I, I you know, <laughs> obviously you're talking to a very, uh, uh, a fellow high school lacrosse junkie. So <laughs> it's a pretty I, good... <laughs> I think I'm talking to the high school lacrosse junkie. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So, um, <laughs> you know, as I kind of mentioned, like you were kind of my first call because I think, oh, I can't remember when I started putting together. It was one of those like three or four years ago. I just kind of got curious because obviously the MIAA and, and NRAC, they, they end up playing each other, you know, you know, a couple times, you know, two or three times a year, it seems like, and, you know, it's right. like in Haverford, it's right. Haverford, like they're always playing each other. And, you know, one of those things, like most of the things on my site, like I just kind of got curious. I was like, how do they, you know, how do they stack up? So I put this little list, right. there, you know, and uh, obviously the, wasn't wasn't shocked that the MIA came out on top. I you know out of 103 games, the games that have been played so far this year, I think Loyola's got a couple couple games, and I think Gilman's got a couple games against the the conference later this year. But it's like the right. M- 65 and 38, you know, all time, not all time since 2002. 
I haven't been able to go much further back than that, so that'll be an awesome right. project. But you know, this kind of got me thinking. You know, you know, people, you know, I'm, and I'm sure you hear people every now and then when you start talking MIAA. They're like, "Oh yeah, that again." Like you know, there's the debate on you know, is Long Island better you know, and all that. So I just thought I'd have you know one of the the people who know the most about the conference just kind of talk a little bit about like why do you think the MIA is considered one of the best conferences in in high school? Well, if you look at, you know, I guess if you look at the records, um, and I went back earlier today and looked at the Lax Power uh, poll, final polls since 2001, and just about every, actually every year, an MIA team was in the top 10 in the final uh, you know, top 10 poll. And the unique thing about it is it wasn't just one or two schools. It was just about, it was just about most of them. Uh, I'd say eight out of 10 of the schools were in the top 10. And I'm pretty sure, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure since 2001, um, the MIA has been the declared the national champion, according to Lax Power, mm -hmm. uh, six of those times. So, you know, six out of, what is that, uh, 16 years, that, 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 that to me tells you a lot. Um, it, it's, it, it's the toughest league because each team has to play you know, now they're only playing nine games, but not too far long, not too long ago, you had to play each team twice, and um, that was as tough as it got. And and I know some of the coaches used to talk about it, it was all like the old ACC basketball tournament. Mm -hmm. You know, it just was brutal. It was a brutal schedule. So you played Gilman, St. Paul's, or Calvert Hall, Loyola, Mount St. Joe, whatever, Severn. You had to play them twice a week, and that's tough to do. That's yeah. really tough to do. And then that didn't count the play once they got to the playoffs. So you could potentially see one or two of those teams, what, three times over the course of the year? It, it, it was conceivable that you could see a team, even your rival, you could play them three times. You could even beat them twice and still end up maybe seeing them in the finals. So <laughs> it doesn't get any tougher than trying to trying to beat uh, one of your um, closest rivals three times in one season. I think they say in any sport it's tough to beat them twice it's even tougher to beat someone three times. So yeah, yeah um, makes it fun for guys like me who like to watch the game. <laughs> yeah, it sure, it sure drives the coaches a little bit nuts. But, like, you know, of course, you know, I say that, but then none of these teams really ever seem to take a week off. Like, no, no, none of these teams are scheduling the cream puffs. Like, they're not going out, you know, and trying to find a team that went 0-15 last year just to, to take a week off. Sure. None of them really rest. Right. <laughs> well, you know, around here, you know uh, – it's tough to find, you know, quote unquote, cream puffs. Very rarely do, does the A conference play a B conference team. Right. And when they do go outside of the conference, certainly in the beginning of the year, a lot of the teams are traveling to Florida and to California and South Carolina, the warmer spots. Right. And you know they're playing some tough teams. BL plays St. Um, Andrews of Boca Raton. They've been playing them for like the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. St. Andrews wins the Florida tournament every year, from what I'm told. So. Um, you know, that ain't, that's not easy to do. It's one of our first or second games and St. Andrews is like in the middle of their season. So hard for boys Latin to go down there and play a team that's been practicing for six weeks when the BL team has been practicing for one to two weeks. Yeah. And so they, don't, wondered, they don't shy but, away from tough games. Yeah. I've always wondered too. I'm like, man, it's gotta be tough, you know, trying to put myself in the high school. Remember what I was like in high school, my man, you took me out of Maryland in the winter and all of a sudden you showed me down in Southern Florida, like it might be a little bit hard to focus for. 
Yeah, but, I, I think the I think the coaches uh, have they're they're glad that they go down to Florida. I think they're real glad that they come back and everyone's intact. Yeah. You know, when when you're taking a team of forty kids, you know you're you're playing parent for forty kids for four or five days. That's yeah. probably harder than than the whole rest of the season. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've kind of touched on, you know, obviously the each of these teams, you know, have their own own strengths and their own right, but you know, I mean the what you I mean going back to the MSA, I think, you know, I know you had you sent me the records that would have them in front of me, but you know, the conference has been a powerhouse for, you know, since before I was born. So, how do these right, teams right. and programs like how have they maintained cuz you know, I mean in high school, like a lot of the consistency, at least of what I've found, comes through the coaching staff. Like you see the same coaches year That's in, year it. out, and they kind of win. And I know obviously BL with Coach Schreiber had that for, for a number of years, but right. even since right. Schreiber, like they've consistent. Like, so in high school, like there can be ebbs and flows. Like one coach retires, another one comes in, it's just not the same. So how is the right. MIAA slash MSA, how have they been able to have been so dominant for so long? Well, I think I think you just hit the nail on the head. It, 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 and again, I have to you know emphasize that I am incredibly biased. So, <laughs> um, n- not to say that we have the best coaches of all time and and any of that stuff, but one of the reasons why I believe it is it is one of the better conferences, if not the best, is because of the coaching. And you know, you can you can go into the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame and you can see through the decades. Um, you know, some of the names of coaches that coach some of these programs. And I think it basically really starts with St. Paul's and Howdy Myers. Um, Howdy is arguably one of the greatest coaches of all times. He coached at St. Paul's for nine or ten years. Um, They won seven titles in a row. He coached at Johns Hopkins, won three national championships. Then he went to Hofstra and basically started uh, a program up there and kind of got the help develop the Long Island uh, lacrosse program. So each one of the schools has people like that. St. Paul's with, with um, you know, um, Howdy Myers, and certainly um, St. Paul's has continued that with guys like George Mitchell and Mitch Whiteley. And Rick Bacotta is one of the better coaches now around. And, you know, even Gene Corrigan, back in the day, coached at St. Paul's. Um, Gene went on to uh, be a, the ACC commissioner, but – started his coaching career at, you know, little old St. Paul's here in Baltimore. And, you know, at, at Boys Latin, we had Oki O'Connor, who in the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame, uh, one of the sort of the founders of the modern high school game. Um, and then, you know, Shriver kind of took from there, and Shriver was here for 30, I think it was 37 years as the head, um, over 40 in total as an mm-hmm. assistant coach for a bunch of years. But you put your finger at any school, um, and, and these names come out, you know, you go to Calvert Hall and, you know, Dickie Dell coached at Calvert Hall, you know, um, w- one of the greatest coaches at St. Mary's, Jim Moorhead, uh, they had some teams back in the eighties before they even came into the MSA that were number one in the state. Uh, they were playing everybody and, um, playing everybody and beating everybody. And, you know, um, Gilman, my God, Gilman's got guys that, you know, you go through the list of some of their names, their Hall of Fame, Chandley and uh, Ferris Thompson, John Tucker, you know, Brian Matthews now, he's a, uh, or Brooks Matthews, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. They're all really, really good coaches. And um, I think a lot of times the kids gravitate to some of the schools because of the coaches. 
parents want their kids to be uh, to play for some of these great coaches, and I think that has helped uh, the MSA MIA through the years to keep a lot of these kids. They you know they have opportunities to go to public schools, which don't you know which are free. Right. Pub, private schools are expensive, um, but a lot of these parents are willing to um, you know do the sacrifice to get them to these schools that have some of these phenomenal coaches and. I think the game is changing a little now. It's certainly here in, in, in our conference with a lot of the young guys. Um, you know, certainly we just hired Brian Farrell at, Brent, at, at Boys Latin. Uh, but Loyola did the same thing with Rubior. St. Paul's is going to hire uh, Trey Whitty to take over for Bricado next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the kids are really looking up to these young guys. Andy Hillgardner at McDonough is, is certainly one of the great coaches going on today, young guy. Um, I think that's the that's the secret is yeah. the, the these kind of guys directing their these young these young boys. Um, parents want their kids playing for them. Yeah, um, it, it, as you you actually hit on something. I actually in kind of in the preseason, I talked with Derek Tony at Varsity Sports Network, and we were talking about yep. MIA and stuff like that. And we kind of touched on you know the, the how the MIA the coaching staff has it, it, you know pretty quickly gotten a lot younger just with the, you know, the, you know, Pato and Shriver kind of stepping down. And I mean, I know Ruby or was already in the conference at St. Mary's, but you know, he replaced, uh, whose name I'm going to forget at Loyola. Jack Crawford. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, Steven Berger took over at Mount St. Joe's, you know, severance coach, he was there before. So he kind of, you know, he's an older guard that from back in the day, but you know, um, it's just kind of amazing how young the conference, it, coaching-wise, has gotten pretty quickly. Now, as you mentioned, yeah. Stray, we'll take over at St. Yeah. Paul's. Next year. Yeah, and, and you know what? And it's kind of neat is that you know Joe McFadden, and I forgot to mention Joe McFadden, but he had a dynasty at Loyola during the 1980s. I believe, I'm pretty sure, they were in the title game every year in the whole decade of the 80s. Mm. And McFadden is still now an assistant. At Loyal, I believe he's an assistant. He was last year, and I'm assuming he's back this year. So even though the young guys are running the show, sort of the CEOs of all these uh, lacrosse programs, there's still some of the grizzled old vets that are as good as good coaches as any are still around, like the McFaddens. Um, you know, Brian Farrell took over for Shriver and kept the entire staff. You know, realizing that. Uh, there's no need to reinvent the wheel just because there's a new guy in charge. There's still some great, 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 you know, assistant coaches at all of these schools, you know, and, and that's, again, the, the, I only mentioned head coaches. I should have mentioned the fact that there are some fantastic uh, assistant coaches at all these schools as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously no, no one's doing it alone and, you know, it, it's kind of great to hear because, you know, like you said, no need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, when you got, the experience and wisdom and of, you know, a coaching staff, like why replace right. them? You know, if, if they're willing to be there, then yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> use, right. use it exactly. to your experience, especially as a young guy kind of taking over and getting your first head coaching job. So, you know, I'm sure like taking over boys Latin has got to be, you know, whoever takes over for Mike Krzyzewski at Duke is going to have a heck of a role. Um, exactly. In, and I'm sure taking over for Shriver, you know, I haven't talked to Brian yet, but you know, I'm sure it had to be a little bit nerve-wracking, man. Man, you're taking over for a oh, yeah. legend of the game. <laughs> yeah, Any, anybody from Baltimore can equate to that because it's you know there are two guys in our professional teams that no one ever wanted to replace, and that was John Unitas, of course, <laughs> right. and then Brush Robinson. And so whoever that guy, that poor guy was, that took over for those two guys. 
didn't have much of a chance because couldn't, you know, those are the greatest ever, and it's pretty tough to follow in their in their yeah. footsteps. Yeah. Um, now I know you're the history guy, and I wanted to kind of ask. You know, I didn't I didn't really prep you for this, so if you're you're not okay with it, just let me know. But you know, I'm looking oh, at no. you know um, the, the all time win streaks uh, uh, in history, and obviously St. Paul has won 72 in a row from 1943 to 1946. You know, and I know there's two right. teams with you know longer streaks, but I'm just trying to think like. Will there ever be a time when an MIA school could win, even come close to winning that many games in a row again? I mean, that you know, we kind of talked about the power of the conference, and I mean, to get through those programs, I mean, that just seems like an un- that seems yeah. like an untouchable record. Like ninety-one may get there, you know. It's I, I I records are made to be broken and everything, but could an MIAA school conceivably ever? I don't think there? so. Yeah, and of course, back then, you know, the MSA only had about six or eight teams, and, you know, we, there were a couple uh, public schools in there that were fantastic, City and Poly, namely the, the, the main two. Um, but St. Paul back then was so superior to the rest of the league. Um, I, I, I talked to a, an old BL grad. We were like the second-best team his senior year, the second-best team in the league to St. Paul's, and we lost to St. Paul 17 to nothing. So that shows you the disparity in talent back in the and, – and maybe it was because Howdy Myers was just a superior coach. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but no one will ever come close to what St. Paul did. I, I think Sawanica up in Long Island. Yeah. Uh, them and West, that yeah, them West, West Genesee tied for 91. They both in the 90, 91 games is the the longest that I that I am aware of. Um, and uh, Sawanka and West Genesee or both have it. And I did St. Paul school here in Baltimore break Swanico's record. I, I want to say that the Baltimore team broke it, but I, I I'm not sure about that one. The record no, but it's ninety one. Oh, you mean, oh, you mean did they end it? that? Yeah, that I don't know. You know, the nineteen fifty seven like. As I'm sure you know, <laughs> once you start to get back to a certain period of time, it gets really hard to find yeah. <laughs> some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, just to kind of you know share the little story. Like <clears throat> I do the most overtime games, and I've been kind of trying to track that. And you know, you can find stuff here and there, but literally, like I found there was a 14 overtime game between a couple of schools in Virginia, and I contacted the coach. Uh, I think it was St. Anne's Belfield, and uh, yeah, I mean the coaches were there, but literally yeah, the only way they found the it article. is because. Yeah, they had someone. Someone had the article from the newspaper stashed away. Right. That was the only way. It was. It was basically the last documentation that that happened. I'm like, wow. Now I'm sure a lot of it, 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 yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, that you, you hear about. You know, I I know people were saying, you know, Roger Maris's record will never be broken, and mm-hmm. and, and and Lou Gehrig's record will never be broken, and and then along come these guys and they break them. So you know, I I don't want to say. I don't think certainly in my lifetime or yours it'll happen, but you know the McDonough girls are working on 160 games. Yeah, and you know eight, nine, ten years ago, I think they were an average program, or you know, not a superior program. Maybe not an average, maybe above average, but not a superior program. And and look at them now. So yeah, um, that, that is. I some- don't think it'll happen. But you never know. Yeah, that that is something. I've said I don't cover the girls' game, but I do. You know, for years I did track that. Now I think I was there when, I think I started covering them when their streak was at like thirty or something like that. So yeah, kinda, yeah, that was two thousand and nine. So it's I'm, it's been going for a long time. I, I have never seen since I started covering the cross. 
I've never seen them lose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. They it, they played they played Roland Park a couple of days ago. Roland Park is one of the better teams, and McDonough beat them seventeen to two. Wow. Yeah. So Oops. you know, again, I don't know, and, and I and actually I actually spoke to the Roland Park coach yesterday. And she said, you know, we played a bad game. We didn't play our best. And we had a great game plan. And it just didn't work out. So, <laughs> because because I asked her, are they that much better than everybody else? She said, no, no. You know, we'll we'll see what we can do, you know, later in the season. So, um, I know Shriver got up to, like, 28 games, I think, after the – I think after the 2006 season. We went in 2007 and won maybe – eight or nine games before we lost in the middle of the year in 2007. So I think we got to maybe, maybe 30. Okay. I don't know of any, I don't know any modern records that have gotten very far. And that's certainly not close to, you know, 60, 50, 70, or, or certainly not 91, whatever yeah. this Wanaka record is. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple like Bedford out of New Hampshire. They'd won 72 uh, that ended in 2015. Um, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they played decent, you know, pretty decent teams, but obviously, you know, it, it, it you mean, you can't really compare it to the St. Paul's kind of thing. I mean, Summit out of New Jersey, yeah. they had a 68 game streak, uh, you know, I mean, but other than that, like it starts to get, I mean, Georgetown prep won 48, um, that that's probably pretty right. comparable, but you know, yeah, I was just kind of looking at that. I'm like, that's pretty amazing. And it kind of lets me ask you the next question. Cause I know we're going to talk about sure. the boys Latin and St. Paul's rivalry oh yeah um but you know oh, we've yeah. been talking about it so i'm going to kind of choose like what's the significance of what that game is going to be this year well it's uh well for st paul's it's going to be even a bigger game because it's brock's last year last game as in a regular season now yeah. they may make they probably will make the playoffs so it yeah. won't be his last game but it's going to be his last game you know uh in a regular season so i know they're hyping up from that point from an historical standpoint um it it just doesn't get any better than uh, the BL St. Paul's game, and the kids really get up for it. Um, we've I think it's fifty one forty seven and one is the overall record in favor of Boys Latin. Um, we've been playing since nineteen thirty three against each other, and what what's really the cool thing to me is that it's on the field. Those kids want to you know they want to kill each other off the field. Um, they're really great friends. And through the years, we've actually had brothers playing against brothers in that game. And I always thought that was a really neat angle. Yeah. Um, everybody certainly knows who Jeff Cook, um, you know, was at Johns Hopkins. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players ever. But his brother Craig was at Boys Latin, and they played against each other. Um, David Pollock played against his brother in the 92 championship game, and the Clausens played against each other in the 40s. And, um, it's just a, it's just a great rivalry. It's a friendly rivalry. It's a family rivalry. Um, you know, dads have gone to BL and their sons have gone to St. Paul's and vice versa. And, uh, it, it's just crazy. The, 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 um, connections just, I, I could talk for hours on the connections and brothers playing against brothers and fathers and sons and uncles and cousins. It's really cool. Yeah. And I think we're going to maybe not talk for hours, but, you know, I think the the, the plan was, is to still kind of have, you know, kind of do a little something before that game. Because you mentioned, like, obviously sure. it will be Coach Mercado's, not his, probably not his final game, but, you know, his final regular season game. So I'm sure that'll have some significance uh, in and of itself. I mean, we, 
we respect Rick Picado a lot at Boys Latin, and but we certainly hope it is his last game because we certainly <laughs> wouldn't want to see them in the playoffs. But, Don't want to see him again. Um, <laughs> That's a one and done. Yep. One of the things with some of these schools, um, you know, when when you play them at the end of the year or in the middle of the year or whatever, and you're not scheduled to play them again, a lot mm. of times you don't you, you hope you don't see them in the playoffs because. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was that? Beating you know, a team twice is really tough to do. Yeah, I mean, what you, I mean, obviously, boys, Latin knows all about that. We know from, I mean, I'm sure you <laughs> will not want to remember oh, yeah. the uh, the uh, Loyola Blakefield championship game because, I mean, that that BL team was stacked. Obviously, you guys won it the next year, but you know that was just oh, one yeah. of the cases where you know Loyola just played out of their mind in the get, second half to come back and win that game. Yeah. I mean, I think you know St. Mary's. I mean, nobody would have picked St. Mary's to win it all no. a couple years ago. I mean, if if they no. did, well, I'm sure some St. Mary's fans did, but you know, <laughs> sure. Anybody just kind of take well, they got they had their faceoff guy who got hot at the end of the year, and that you know you get a hot faceoff guy and a hot goalie, and you can go very far. Yeah, you know, that Woodall kid was as good as I've ever seen. Yeah, so that's you know it's one of those once you once you get in those playoffs, it really is like a whole it's a whole new ball game. That's as cliche as it gets, but I think it's as absolutely as well. Yep. Yep. Well, Matt, you know, I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk, you know, considering the uh, <laughs> the game that's coming up in a few weeks. But, you know, I appreciate you making some time today and just kind of talking MIA with me. Mike, it's been my pleasure. All right. You have a good one. All right. You too. Take care, man. All right.